You're listening to The Chopping Block, a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. All right, man. We, uh, we're getting into it with Jonah here on the chopping block. Story that maybe lots have heard growing up in their children's ministry and maybe heard in different ways. And maybe as you get in the text here and heard Pastor Andy preach this weekend, you start to see that maybe there's this is not a children's story in the way we tell it sometimes. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, uh, church nurseries painted with Jonah or, or Noah. And <laughs> Some brutal stories. Those True are, stories. Those are edited versions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Those yeah, are yeah. redacted versions of those stories. Uh, well, you started, you know, I think when we get into the the prophet Jonah's story, you know, typically the first thing that comes to mind is the great fish. You know, was it a whale? Was it a leviathan? Was it a great fish? Just a big, and you know, then you get into the question of: Is this a real story? Is this allegory, or is this a story? Right. And uh, you kind of started with this story of a lobster diver, correct? Correct. In right off Cape Cod, yep. like northeast, who is doing his job, going about his business, and all of a sudden he feels he's being swallowed by a humpback whale. Going for his second dive in the morning, and Man. he said his world went dark. Man, he could feel himself. What goes squeezed. through your mind? I'm just like, this is it. I think he said his first thought was a great white had gotten him. Oh, and then he realized there were no teeth, and so he was like, I'm inside of a whale. Can you only imagine? I mean, you do think about a, you know how big blue whales are. Blue whales are like the biggest animals on the planet, correct? Someone Oh, yes. Someone ride into the that's show. That's what I've heard. Someone ride into the show. But <laughs> but that thing could definitely and, swallow and, you. Unless Nessie's a real yeah. thing. Right. So, you know, we could laugh about it. It's it's uh that was a really fun story to start with. Well, I think it was a humpback whale that swallowed him. Yeah, which they're big. But, yeah, they're they're real big. Whales are large animals. <laughs> they are very very large animals. They're real big. That's they're, how we say in Arkansas. That's yeah, a real big. That's, that's a real big whale there. <laughs> uh, you know, there should be more team mascots that are whales. Yeah, they're cool. I mean, they're big orcas, animals. Orcas are killer whales. I mean, them you things know? are smart too, man. Right. Okay, we're not going to spend the whole time talking about marine life, but we don't even know if it was a whale. We don't. It just is a great fish. Yeah, it it, it does and. But it does come back to questions about the reliability of the Bible, questions about historicity of the story. And you you said, you know, we take the approach that this is a true historical story. Right. Like actual accounts of Jonah's life. Yep. And, you know, for those who weren't there, give us, a, give us a quick why on why we take that approach. Well, when you, when you start reading the story of Jonah, it's written in the genre of historical narrative. And yeah. so if you if you compare it to other historical narratives in the scriptures and contemporary stories um, of Jonah's day, um, it takes on certain characteristics and attributes that are associated with 
telling historical events yeah. and accounts. And so um, if the author intended for us to understand it as a as an allegory or a parable, um, there, are, there are certain markers there. You know, so if you compare the story of Jonah to the way that Jesus tells some of his parables, you very quickly pick up on there. There, there are differences here, right? Um, you have real names. Um, it's it's set in real time and place, and you tend to get more um, specific numbers and quotes and things like that in a historical narrative, and all of those things show up in this story. Um, you also have the reality that Second um, Kings mentions the prophet Jonah. And so Jonah was a real dude. Um, we know that he was a prophet in Israel. Yeah. Um, and then you have, you have Jesus in the New Testament referencing Jonah. Right. As if he were a real person. And as, as if uh, what happened to Jonah getting swallowed by fish really happened. And so Jesus insinuates that the story is true. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was kind of my trump card on Sunday, like when in doubt go with Jesus. Right. Um, but you start putting the data together and it leans heavily in the direction that this wasn't just an allegory to teach a moral lesson. Although certain we, there's so much to draw out of this story, but that this was, this was an historical event that right. really happened in history. Right. And there's, and to your point, you know, there is so much, you know, even with my group on Sunday night, talking through chapter one, there's just so much we can take from Jonah's story and so much we should relate to. Uh, you know, we often, we often put biblical characters, especially ones that struggle in an other camp. That's how other people struggle and not us. But as we start to unpack Jonah's story, I mean, I see myself all over the place. Yep. Yeah, it's e- easy to identify. And you, you start there with, you know, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. And then verse 3, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into, the, into uh, to go away from the Lord's presence. So you have the word of the Lord come to a prophet who, the you know, the role of the prophets is to take the direct word from the Lord and, and give it directly to the people. You had a great illustration, uh, at prophets being table servants um, who don't do anything to the meal. They don't cook the meal. They don't put their thumb in it. They just take it directly from the, kitchen to the table, which I thought was really helpful. But Jonah knows God, right? He knows God. He knows the truth. And he's called to go to this people, the Assyrians, in the great city of Nineveh and preach a message of repentance and judgment. Right. And, and Really a word of warning. Yeah. Impending judgment. Right. And so, I mean, there's the, the unstated call for Hey, relent, repent, right. change, change your ways, and and God might turn, right, right, and relent from from His destruction. And and to your point, instead of going towards Nineveh, He goes twenty five hundred miles in the opposite direction, right, or or tries to, right. He's like, I'm going as far away from that place as possible, right. Why is this the case? Why why is Jonah? 
Yeah, this this is where I think understanding some of the historical setting is so critical, right? right? Because um, it's it, only thirty years after this story, the Assyrians are going to invade Israel uh-huh. and, and take them captive. Mm-hmm. And the Assyrians in this time were known for just their brutality. I mean, they were they were really violent people. Um, if they would capture an enemy, they would often uh, take the king and gouge his eyes out and then slay him before the people. Uh, they were known for child sacrifice in their yeah. pagan rituals. I mean, this was a, this was a brutal and in many ways wicked people, which is why God is bringing a word of, of judgment to them. Um, but Jonah doesn't want to go anywhere near that because they're right. they're literal enemies of Israel. Right. And during Jonah's day, up until this point, Jonah kind of got to be the deliverer of messages of peace. Mm. He kind of got to be the feel-good prophet. And I think he really liked that gig. <laughs> um, and then all of a sudden God says, Hey Jonah, I've got a new I've got a new uh task for you. I want you to go to the Assyrians. Yeah. And I want you to warn them that I'm about to I'm about to destroy them if they don't repent to their ways and he's like, "Man, I don't I don't want to touch it." It would be the equivalent of God sending an Israelite to Hamas. Yeah. I mean, I I think mentally, emotionally, God is sending Jonah to in his mind terrorists. And even that even saying that probably stirs up some people as they hear it, and you need to go, well, that's what Jonah felt. Yeah, yeah. Like, the feeling you just felt, as you said, that go, oh, I don't like that. It's like, that's what Jonah felt. Right. And, you know, in the, Jonah had good theology of who God was. He had to have as a prophet. He knew who God was. He knew the truth. And yet, the wording here is that he tried to flee from the Lord's presence. Which I'm sure cognitively, if you would have asked Jonah, he would have gone, Oh no, God's Jonah had Jonah had an orthodox right. understanding of God's He's uh, right. omnipotence and his omniscience and his omnipresence. Like he 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 knew better. But it's this fear, it's this hatred, it's these feelings, very real, raw feelings that drive him to go anywhere but where God told him. Yeah, I, I heard it said before that almost always, and there are exceptions, but most of the time, crises of faith are not intellectual crises. Right. You know, it's it's rarely an intellectual crisis. Now we try to couch it there, like we really try to say, "Man, well, I just I can't I can't reconcile these things," and there may be some dissonance going on there. But most of the time, it's an emotional or an existential crisis. Yeah. Jonah just didn't want to do it. Yeah. And, and I think most of us, that's our struggle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes God calls us to do things that we just don't want to do. It's contrary to our feelings. Um, it's contrary to the way we want things to be. And and so we run. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and I was thinking about this actually as I was driving this morning, just kind of reflecting back on on the story of Jonah. I think for a lot of us, 
there's still this sense that we look at the Bible as a wisdom book mm. and, uh, and, and we can, we can turn wisdom into suggestion. Um, but something can be both wise and necessary. Yeah. You know, and God isn't just suggesting things to us for a flourishing life. <laughs> he is. Yeah. But he's also commanding things to yeah. us that we're obligated to follow and obey. And this is one of those clear moments in the scriptures where Jonah just defies God's will. Yeah. And and maybe the way to bring it home to some of us is, is, is kind of what you said on Sunday, that not only was this a running from God or a rebellion against God, it was a rejection of God's word. It said the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Right. And you kind of made the point that like you can't, you can't separate God from his word. You can't accept one or reject the other or try to try to have a relationship with one and 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 run from the other that right they go hand in hand yeah our our view and i'm saying our church's view of the bible is that it is authoritative mm-hmm. and therefore there's a call to submission and surrender yeah when it comes to the word of god now that doesn't mean that everything is always explicitly clear in the Bible. Right. Clearly there are cases that we we wrestle and we debate, but God has made a lot clear. You know, the the doctrine of the perspicuity of scripture, you know, the clarity of the essential things is so important here. To go God has made uh the main things sufficiently clear for us to know and understand and follow. And I think for a lot of us uh, we we try to muddy the waters on purpose because we just don't want to hear what God has to say sometimes. Yeah. Um. And and we cannot, you know, back to your point, we cannot divorce right. God from His Word. What He says is who He is. Um. Yeah. Yeah. And you kind of laid out four ways we we do that sometimes. You know, we doubt God's Word, we debate it, we disregard it sometimes, and then we just flat out defy it. Like we know. Yep. This is what the Bible teaches. Like, I'm just not going to do that because right. this feels really good right now or whatever it might be. And so I think I think we could, you know, lie to ourselves or maybe the word lies a little too strong. Maybe we just kid ourselves that we've never done something like Jonah's done. Well, I've never directly run from God when he brought a word, and that's because we have a low view of the Bible maybe, but... Like if if the scriptures have called us to something, and we are doubting it, debating it, disregarding it, or defying it, then then we're acting like Jonah. Yeah, yeah. Now this is a, this is a word. This is a word for all of us, right? I mean, if if you can't see yourself in this text, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, that's good. And you know, I just had the thought. I kind of thought about this on Sunday too. And we talk about the why Jonah runs. Really, it was potentially, and we'll get into this more in chapters three and four, but potentially it was Jonah's good theology that caused him to run. Here's what I mean by that. Jonah knew that God was a compassionate God, and well, yeah. he didn't want him to say that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? You get to chapter four, and he's like, I knew if I preached this, they might repent. And you're a compassionate God who's slow to anger, and I knew you'd relent from destroying them. Yeah. Like, I mean, Jonah is angry because his theology is good. Yeah, you know? yeah. And the, I mean, that is the great irony of this story: is that Jonah 
can't see that that's how God's been with him. Mm. Yes. You know, that he has, he's driven a wedge between himself and the Assyrians and said, well, but, but I'm different. Right. And somehow he thinks he's a little more worthy of God's mercy. Yeah. Which is why he laments a plant. (laughs) And we'll deal more with that in the coming weeks. But let's let's talk just a little bit more about you know Jonah gets on the ship, he he cuddles up down low thinking he's good. He's chilling in his. This sin. is going to be all right. He is he is chilling in his sin. And uh, and it says the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose um, that would threaten to break the ship apart. You know, I asked the question. Has God ever thrown a storm into your life to wake you up from your running, mm. right? I don't know if there's a story that comes to mind when you think about that, but you can't miss God's sovereignty in this chapter. Who doesn't, you know, thank God that we ha- we have a God who doesn't let us, who doesn't let us just chill in our sin, who doesn't let us just uh, remain in our rebellion. He tries to wake us up. It's actually really good news. Yes. Your heart rate may start pumping a little bit, right? You know, if you if you're living in sin right now, mm-hmm. I mean, God's gonna send the holy hound dogs after you, man. I mean, he he loves us too much, and and we need a robust enough theology to go, man. God's sovereign. God's sovereign over the storms in my life. What's he trying to do here? Right. Um, what's what's he waking me up? And that, that that doesn't mean that every storm in your life is. The result, the the direct result of your rebellion. We're not saying that. We need a, you know, a deeper theology than to always attribute it to to one thing. Um, that actually can can be pretty dangerous. But in this in this scenario, it's very clear. Right. God sends this storm because Jonah is running, and God's waking Jonah up. The storm is grace. It's an intervention. Yeah. yeah. The storm is an intervention. Um, and that's a word. Yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, I think this story gets our eyes up to to the bigness of God. This story gets our eyes up to the bigness of God's grace and salvation and reminds us of the reality of sin and the reality of rebellion and the fact that there's a payment required. There's a cost to our sin. And we see a cost in a couple levels. Like one level is the other sailors are affected here. The the other sailors are they're implicated by Jonah's rebellion. Potentially going to die and perish because of Jonah's rebellion. And you you kind of made a side mark, and this is really what this show is for to to unpack side remarks. But you said our sin always, always affects others. Right. Um can you unpack that a little bit for us? Yeah, I mean, I, I think oftentimes, especially if our sin is in secret, it's in private, uh, we think, we lie to ourselves and say, well, this isn't hurting anybody else. Mm-hmm. But eventually your sin will be found out. It, and when it is, it's, it, it, it holds great potential to hurt others. But even that secret sin that you think isn't hurting anyone, I mean, so for example, let's say if it's pornography, yeah. there's, we know, we know statistically that so many of the women um, who are um, 
in that industry are a result of the sex trade yeah. or a result of deep, deep um, sexual abuse in history um, that's led them to that place. Yeah. And you're a participant in that. You're exploiting that. And so the whole industry is built on just nasty horizontal effects of sin. Right. Um, and so we lie to ourselves when we say, oh, it's not hurting anyone. But then, you know, whatever it is, there's always going to be ripple effects. I, I thought about the uh, English poet John Donne. You know, he said, no man is an island. Mm. You know, none of us are an island. Um, we live in um, circles of relationships. And our sin always has effect. I mean, if you look, if you take a step back and look at the world, arguably, I mean, that's what's going on. There's right. a cacophony of sin happening and it's just the ripple effects going in every direction. Everybody's reacting to everybody else's sin in their own. Um, I mean, and it's just a, a big old mess. You see that at the micro level. You see it at the macro level. Yeah, I think that's really good. And even with your example of pornography, I was thinking, and, ev and even more intimately, you know, if you're married, your spouse and your children, and you have children, are absolutely being affected by your sin. Whether you... Whether they explicitly know about that struggle or not, they're being affected. Yeah. Um, same thing for me. You know, whatever's going on in my life, I, I feel like I always bring it home. And my kids and wife feel it first, whether it's being a little bit short-tempered, whether it's being more checked out and not 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 actually present. Right. But it, it, it affects. Or, or um – because you're struggling with the sin that you're trying to hide, right? you don't say things, um, and therefore you are debilitated in loving your brother or sister, mm. speaking into their life, yeah, um, which is arguably a sin of omission, and it's certainly not the, the law of love, where we're living into these relationships of, of loving care and speaking truth and... Um, and it, it it really neuters that whole deal because you feel you feel inept or hypocritical to do those things, and so there is no way getting around yeah. the reality that your sin always affects others. It's good. It's good to help us kind of have a holistic view of sin and and the doctrine of sin that it's not just a personal thing. It right. has corporate effects. Um, but there is this vertical element too that we see in the story, right? Right. Where, that we get to at the end. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he. They're trying everything they can to save themselves. It's a beautiful. I mean, I say beautiful. It's a. It's a vivid illustration of religion. Uh, you struggling over there? You all right? Get a sip. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the you know the, these pagan sailors trying to row their way out of the storm, trying to throw cargo uh, off of the ship. They're doing everything they can to keep the ship right side up, and I think. You know, again, we don't want to preach the story as allegory. I, I believe it really happened, but it does take on theological significance, and it's, it's a beautiful picture of of the way of religion, which says, you know, you know, cast these things out of your life. You know, asceticism, exercise, diet, fasting, row harder. You know, right? Uh, you know, penance and prayers and meditations and chant, like, and none of it ultimately works. You know, that there's a deeper root issue going on here. There's a deeper need yeah. uh, to assuage, you know, the storm. And ultimately, Jonah says, hey, the only thing that will work 
is for you to pick me up and throw me into the raging sea. Right. Right. And you, because there's a cost. Yeah. There's a cost. And we're going to see it next, next chapter two in Jonah's repentance. Like Jonah has a robust theology of atonement. Mm-hmm. We see it here in chapter one. We're going to see it again um, in chapter two. Jonah understands that the wages of his sin is death, that payment has to be made, that God doesn't sweep our sin under the rug, Right. that he's a God of justice and righteousness. And so he knows ultimately this sin can't be skirted. It has to be dealt with. And he recognizes he owes his life. Mm. And, and so he throws himself, you know, he tells them, you're going to have to throw me into the sea. Yeah. Um, as payment. For my sin. Yeah. And there's a temptation, and maybe even ways I understood as a kid, I thought the fish was more judgment. Like, mm. the, the fish was, like, more discipline. Right. But what you realize, as you read the story, is the fish was salvation. Yeah. Yeah, it was a vehicle of deliverance. God appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Why? To save Jonah. Yep. Which is an incredible picture. Yep. Of, of what Christ has done there's, on our behalf. There's some element here of um, a kind of a, a recapitulation of the flood story. Mm-hmm. You know, where God's judgment is on the wickedness of, of men and only those inside of the ark are spared. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is here. God's judgment is on the wickedness of Jonah. And yet, by his grace and not Noah's doing, he sends an ark to swallow Jonah up mm. um, to spare him. Yeah. And, you know, we saw at the end of the story, like, there's a greater Jonah. Right. There, a foil of Jonah um, is Jesus, who, not for his own sin, but for ours, cast himself into the deeps. He was swallowed up by death so that yeah. we could be spared. Amen. You know? That's so good, man. Well, I, I'm so excited for the next few weeks we take a break this week with pastor john stark here for the discipleship conference but then we'll have three weeks three more weeks in joan and i'm just excited to see what the lord does this story has a lot to say to us and and i, I bet people are even this week seeing themselves uh, and i know i am in jonah's story and so i hope more than anything what we see in this story is a god of compassion yep. and salvation and sovereignty who works on our behalf, who pursues us in the midst of our rebellion, and who ultimately, to your point, threw himself into the seas, the raging seas of our sin, in order to pay for us. And the love of God in Jonah's life is really, truly amazing. Yeah. That he pursues him, um, that he rescues Jonah. I mean, essentially what he's saying to Jonah, and Jonah doesn't know it's going to happen. Jonah does offer his life to spare his his sailor friends. Right. And God snatches Jonah out of that, you know, and says, no, I'm going to provide another way. Mm. I'm going to give you a second chance. Um, but then what we're going to see as we keep going is just the, the long-suffering patience of God mm. as Jonah still doesn't fully get it. Yeah. You know, and the fact that God uses Jonah knowing his motives are imperfect, knowing that he still hasn't arrived. Right. Um, 
and yet he he uses him that yeah. God uses imperfect vessels and God is patient with us and brings us along and continues to hold the mirror up to us. I mean, the story of Jonah is a story of the patient pursuing kindness of God. I mean, it's just unbelievable. It's good news for us all. Yeah. Well, I can't wait for chapter two. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.